Hey, everybody, this is Steve Fredland. I am the lead strategist and happiness coach of Small Small Business. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoussas. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. So perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode. Great to have you with us once again. And I have a wonderful guest here with us today. His name's Steve Fredland, and he spent 25 years in Fortune 500 companies, including Medtronic, 3M, and Alliance. And uh, he's an MBA, and he's a fellow of the Society of Actuaries. Three years ago, he started a small business where he and his team provide entrepreneurs, small business owners, and not-for-profit leaders with a level of support usually only available for larger organizations. Steve has an overlapping 20 years of not-for-profit leadership experience, including six board of directors and leading a community-wide effort to transform a community in northern Rwanda. He's based in the U.S. with his wife and three children, and he loves podcasting, poker, and disc golf. And he's currently on a quest to help leaders, including himself, be a lot happier. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Dennis. I appreciate that. Happy to be here. Awesome. Hey, um, whereabouts in the world are you today? I've said the U.S., but whereabouts in the U.S.? So I am in the north central part of the U.S. in the state of Minnesota. So we are in the, the heart. Well, hopefully we're coming out of it, but we've had, we have about seven month long winters. So it's chilly. Wow. Seven months. Yeah. It, it, well, depending on how you define winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically from, from October through, through March or April, we're up on the pretty close to the border of Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, and do you follow sports? I do. Yeah, so I'm I'm a, I'm a sports fan. Now I'm a Minnesota sports fan. If for those of your listeners that are kind of in this area, you know that being a Minnesota sports fan means you're severely disappointed all of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> what does that mean? It means we just you know in football, which you as American football, you know we've had the Minnesota Vikings. They've never won a Super Bowl. The Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team has never won a championship. The Minnesota Wild, formerly North Stars hockey team, has never won a championship. We've just uh, Minnesota Twins did win the World Series back in 1987, 1991. That's it for, for major sports championships. And that's baseball World Series, eh? That's baseball, yep. I always laugh how you call it the World Series, and I go, how many other countries are involved? It's terrible. It's a very American opinion where we call everything the world championship when it's only American teams. I'm sorry, but that's a very American perspective. Yeah, it's all good. It's um, <laughs> we we just we just love it. Uh, going, oh, okay. But we're world champions in rugby. Does that mean no? Right. And um, yeah, so it's it's always interesting having that conversation. I've given the uh, listeners a brief introduction to you and about your background. Is there anything else you'd like to share about uh, about your background? 
You know, I've done a lot of different things. It's, it's been a very eclectic, interesting ride. So uh, you mentioned a lot of the, the Fortune 500, the nonprofit work I've done. I, I love podcasting as well. So I've had podcasts for poker and disc golf, just just all sorts of things. I'm, I'm kind of a let's live life large and try things out. Yeah, that's that's an awesome attitude to have that in it, live life large. Do you think people are playing small? Yes, I do. I think I think generally, but you know, I'm 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 very careful not to sort of put my perspective on other people as well. I'm also very jealous of people that just kind of have one thing they do in their life and you know, so even though I think, man, you're missing out on all of these things, I think boy, that would take a lot of the pressure off cuz I feel like I maybe get involved in too many things. I think playing small is interesting too because even though I've done a lot of things, I do think I generally play small. Like I don't really I suffer from imposter syndrome. I don't know if I'm really, you know, have a lot to offer the world, even though I've done a lot of different things. So I think playing small takes takes different um, sort of different forms for different people. Yeah, cool. Now, in the bio and in the introduction I did, you're doing some work to transform a community in northern Rwanda. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, so uh, several years ago, I, I just sort of got the feeling I wanted to get involved in the AIDS pandemic in Africa. That was where it all started. And year would go by after year, and I would keep thinking, yeah, I should do something. And I'd send a little bit of money, but eventually I just decided I'm going to try to do two things with at once. I'm going to try to unite East Central Minnesota, where I live. It's a rural area. Try to do something that unifies our area because it was very divisive over political grounds, over religious grounds, over all kinds of things. And what can I do to try to unite people here to have an impact? over there. And so actually started a community-wide effort to do work to transform a community in Rwanda. And so we have a group that we work with an organization over there that does the day-to-day, what that looks like. And that's everything from, from clean water, disease prevention, microfinancing, education, all kinds of things. They have a whole strategy to help transform the community. And then my role was really, I would bring teams of people over there to meet people, to encourage them, to get the stories, bring that back, and then try to just raise money and raise awareness through, through casting a clear vision for that. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Good on you for doing that. That's really good. I think that's an important part of our role in life to actually help others as well and make an impact in a positive way. Yeah. Which is really good. Well, it changed my life in, in dramatic ways as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? In, in what way? How has it helped you? Oh, just, just awareness. I think I think cultural awareness is something a lot of us don't have. And again, especially as, as Americans, a lot of times we think this is how the world this is how the world works, right? So being being aware, even though you hear things about it, to experience it firsthand, to talk to people whose children are dying of AIDS, to talk to people who have lived through the genocide, to get a perspective on what it's like to actually live in a true authentic community where you live and work and play all together all the time and somehow make it work and not drive each other crazy. And just there's so many things. And then, you know, putting on top of that gratitude, you know, every time I turn on the water faucet, I'm, I'm grateful. That was never the case before I started going to Rwanda. I think this is miraculous. You know, over there, you know, where we were able to bring in clean water, now that meant that the kids just had to walk 20 minutes down a hill to get water and then 20 minutes back up to bring it to their family. And that was crazy how amazing that was compared to what they had before. And that's, you know, that's success. And so I think, I think all of those things uh, just sort of gave me a new worldview uh, toward unity and community and, and generosity. Yeah, interesting you say that about like the gratitude side of things. I come from an island in Greece where my dad's from, a little island below Corfu. So it's the, the islands between Italy and Greece. And so my uncle, who's a heart, lung specialist in that in Australia, has a house on the island. And on the island, we only had running water come from the mainland uh, connected in the year of 2000, I think it was. And he and I were on the island. 
on holiday and he hadn't been there to turn on his tap for the very first time. So we were outside and we would turn the tap on and he washed his hands and his face with the water coming out from the mainland and it was quite a big deal. And then he and I went inside and on the internet listened to the New Zealand All Blacks play the South African Springboks and rugby game. And it's quite, <laughs> here you think about two different worlds, right? You know, yeah. and you never had that running water, but now you do. And then go off into listen to the, on the internet. It's just amazing. But having that gratitude of where you and I and our listeners today possibly are living in a world where things are going on for them. And it's a, probably a little bit, I can say, easier if I can say it that way, mm-hmm. where there's other countries who are struggling. And so gratitude is a big, big thing for us to understand. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the real world, right? As we're talking about this, we have what's going on in the Ukraine and the you know, yeah. political side, talk about whatever you want, but the refugees is where my heart goes because I mm-hmm. know people that are refugees from Rwanda during their genocide. And I, you know, it's one thing to just kind of know that that exists. Oh, that'd be hard to leave your home and, and walk, you know, 30 miles or whatever. And then you talk to people that have done it and you feel the weight of that and you realize, well, wow, this is something going on in the world. These are human beings, no less valuable than you or I. And and I think that that, Im- that impacts you. Like it's impossible for that not to impact everything that you do. So for your listeners, yeah, I think, you know, just be grateful. It doesn't mean you have to feel guilty for having a good life, right? You shouldn't be shamed into feeling bad about your good life. That's great. Just recognize you have a good life. Like you, you won the lottery because you don't have to you know, be in those situations. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And then the other flip side is that sometimes we get a little bit annoyed or frustrated about things in life, and then we just have to take a little bit of stock where we are and what's going on around and rather other countries too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Steve, how did you get into leadership? Yeah, I would say really by I'm an analytical guy, so I'm an actuary, I'm an investment guy, I'm a finance guy, I'm a math guy, and I got pushed into leadership, I guess, because I was I became good at what I did as an individual contributor. So I didn't really like pursue leadership, but this is sort of what's naturally happens is you're an analytical person for a while. You become good at that. And then they say, okay, well, now you're going to be a manager. Now you're going to lead other people who are analytical people. And that's how I got into leadership. So I didn't pursue it. And more just like, well, okay, after a while, because I was good at what I did, I got put into positions where now I had a leadership responsibility. Didn't really know about leadership at all. Didn't really want it necessarily. I just wanted to do math. So I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I went kicking and screaming because when you're in the corporate world, right, that's what you should want. You want a promotion. And so I got the promotion, but then I was like, okay, what is this now? Now I have to, now I have to deal with people and manage people. And it was kind of a different world. It'd be wonderful as an actuary to understand the percentage of leaders that succeed in their first year or two years and all being numbers and that'd be quite interesting to know that kind of stat. I'm sure it's out there. Yeah, so you're right. I mean, sometimes that's what happens for us, right? We They, they turn around and go, oh, there he is. Well, there she is. Congratulations. Yep. There's a brand new leader. Go for it. <laughs> right. Good luck. And see you in 12 months' time, Steve, in your performance management conversation. And it's like, what? Yeah, no, that, that's kind of exactly right. Yeah. And I found out like I've, I've led a lot of things. And so I've pursued leadership and things. It's, it's usually because of that. But then, you know, more recently it's because I start things. Uh, I'm a starter. I'm an igniter. I'm a catalyst. And so as I went through the corporate world, it became, okay, here's somebody who can start things. And so one of the companies, they'd never had a capital markets hedging program, but they needed to introduce one because they were going to start selling a product that was too risky. So they said, Hey, can you start this thing? And so that automatically, you know, qualifies me as a leader because now I've got people working for that kind of a clean vision. 
And later they wanted, HR group wanted to start a workforce analytics where they wanted to use data to actually understand what was going on in some of these HR things. Hey, Steve, can you start that? And then I started the nonprofit. And so uh, sort of my leadership evolved from an analytical person doing well to realizing that I'm a starter, I'm a catalyst, but it doesn't make me a good leader. Like I'm a really good igniter. I'm a visionary. I'm a catalyst. But that's different than being a successful manager and leader, as I found out. Yeah, and then, you know, I think that's where you just hit the nail on the head was around the manager side. There's the manager side, but the leader is the catalyst, is the agent, is the person that goes, sets the vision. Then I think you'd probably do something, yeah, Steve, you may be aware of, you may not be aware of, you get out of the way and you allow others to get on with it. Is that what happens? That's my preference. Hmm. I'm a much better leader than I am a manager by your definition, for sure. You know, I love people, but I hate managing people. Right. And I've learned that kind of the hard way. Like, I just want to tell people, here's your job, go do it, and let me know if you have any problems. But management does involve a little bit more than that. And so, yeah, I'm, I love the visionary leadership side of it. I'd love to get in front of a room. I'd love to get in front of people and say, here's where we're going. Let's go and get everybody on board and rally the troops. And we're all excited. But then the next day when it's like, now it's time to tell everybody what to do. I don't want any part of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm bad at it. Life would be so much simpler without people, wouldn't it? That's <laughs> kind of how I feel. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Hey, um, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I think that I, I went, I, you know, you asked this question in advance, which I appreciate. I like this. I like that. Just Nelson Mandela. You know, I went back and forth. There's, there's several great leaders. I think for me, not just because he was in prison for so long, but just, I felt like he, I feel like he could always hold like these two truths at one time. Somehow like, okay, so systemic injustice and apartheid with reconciliation. Like, so he would, you know, he'd fight the systemic injustice of apartheid at the same time, preach this message of unity and reconciliation. When one feels like you're fighting a system and the other one seems like you're fighting for cohesiveness and he could do that. And he was, he was, you know, he had, he was a leader as a philanthropist, but he was also a leader as on the political side of things. And those sometimes seem like different things. So I don't just, just super impressed with, I mean, I love how he just carried himself as a human being as well. Just, I just love the cut of his jib, which is sort of an American a sailing term, but just, I love how he presented himself, but just the weight of the things that he was involved with would feels like you, you would crack under the burden of that. Yet he didn't, he stood up in that thing and remained true as far as I know to those beliefs. And it was just so, it's just so inspirational. Yep. Totally. I think he's a, a great guy, great inspiration. And that, ins- that inspiration continues, even though that he's now passed. Um, yeah. Steve, if you had the chance to sit on a park bench with Nelson Mandela, have a coffee together. What would be one question you might ask him? Oh man. I mean, the, the first thing that pops in my mind is how, how do you do it? How do you carry the weight of what you know and what you've seen and what you believe when it feels like you're fighting the long defeat, which is a, a phrase that I don't remember who initially said, I think Howard Thurman, but how, how do you withstand that? Because I know I've been, when I've been to Rwanda four times and I've been broken every time. Like I, I feel like I'm just broken and it gives me, you know, it gives me excitement to carry on the vision, to get people excited, excited to rally the troops, to raise money, to raise awareness, but it just breaks me. And I'd like to know, and maybe he was broken. I don't know. But how do you go from, to prison for all of those years and then come out and still cling to your message? How do you, how do you carry that much weight? of the world and still get up in the morning. Mm, a nice question. Well done. So the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say yeah. that title or that statement, what does that mean to you? 
I think it means exactly what it is. I love the title. It's just, it is changing. And I think, I think the people that think leadership is a single skill set that you learned 30 years ago and you cling to that are getting left behind as leaders. And so it's changing because of so many reasons, right? It's changing because the world just changes. The, the technology is changing. The perspectives of the generations are changing. We're much more global in nature. So all of these things require new levels of leadership and new, not even new levels, just a different approach to leadership. Leadership. We need to start thinking about leadership differently or we're going to be left in the dust. We're not going to have anybody to lead. We're not going to have anything to lead if we keep trying to lead the way that, we've done, that we did 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah, I can just imagine the leader looking around going, hello, hello, anyone there? <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, where is everybody? I'm a leader. Well, yeah, yeah. a leader requires followers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely they do. Yeah, I think John Maxwell, he's an author, speaker, and a guy I've followed for 30 years. And he says, if you're out taking a, if you're out there and you turn around as a leader and no one's following you, all you're doing is taking a hike. That's all you're doing. Yeah, and, that's right. uh, <laughs> I, think, I love that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's really important what you've just said there about making sure that you're staying and moving forward as a leader for sure. How would leaders do that? How would they make sure that they're staying ahead of things? What, 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 what do you reckon is one or two things they might need to do? Well, I think they need to be. I think they need to be current uh, with with the trends that are happening. I think always be a learner. I think you just have to be a learner. And what I mean by that is always skill set. It's it's being aware of what are the trends. I mean, it's it's plugging into people that are futurists or looking at the future of work or people in the industry that are that are changing things that are. You know, where are the leaders emerging? Like, I think that's one thing, just kind of paying attention to say, like, okay, this person all of a sudden, boom, they just came on the scene and they're this really effective leader and everybody's following them. What are they doing? How are they thinking? How are they communicating? Who are they resonating with? So I think just being aware of what's going on and then just being willing to engage with your followers to find out what they need, what they want, and not not assume they, well, I asked them, you know, I asked them 10 years ago what they wanted, and they'll let me know if anything changes, right? Like, I told my wife I loved her 20 years ago, and I'll let her know if it changes. You know, like, you need to be engaged. It has to be an interactive experience with your followers. I think the idea of just saying, well, I'm the leader. I don't need to engage with my followers. Those are just my people. I think those days are gone uh, for in large, they, they used to work, right? Because there used to be a society where people are desperate to have jobs, and they just wanted to be told what to do. So that worked for them. And the leader just wanted the power. And I wanted to tell people what to do. And so it worked. That Those days are gone. Now I think staying engaged with your with your followers, with your clients, with your stakeholders, and just even asking those questions, having, having opportunities for them to say, here's what's on my mind. Here's what's important to me. I think just communication is, is, is huge. In, in, your, in the introduction, I talked about you helping leaders become happier. Do you think leaders today are happy? It's tough. It's it split. It, it's it's split. I've most of the leaders that I've talked to are not happy. This has been part of my research. They're not always unhappy, but they're very few are actually happy. Like you know, there, there's a difference, right? There's a spectrum between there's the unhappy sort of people, and those are people that are pretty obvious. Then there's the happy people that are on the on the other side, and there, there's a few of them. But then the rest of us are just kind of in the middle, sort of biding our time. And we think, I'm going to be happy when, right? I'm going to be happy when I retire. I'm going to be happy when the kids are out of the house. I'm going to be happy when I get this promotion. I'm going to be, you know, we're, we're kind of always looking for for when. We always we always say we have, we have this hope, right? I have this hope that I'm going to be happier. And what I tell people all the time is that hope is powerful, right? Hope is a great thing to have. I mean, there's people in the Ukraine are hoping for this and I'm hoping for this, but hope is not a strategy. Like if you're sitting there going, man, I hope I get happier. I, I hope you do too, but that's not going to get you any closer to happiness than actually taking action. And so I think, you know, my experience is, is leaders, a lot of them are not happy and they range from being middle of the road to very unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the two words hope and try should not be the vocab of a leader because we're not trying, we're not hoping. We may be giving others hope by our leadership and by us leading. That's the thing that's really important. Steve, I think there's the word happy as you're talking about, but what about the word satisfied? So I might be happy, but I may not be satisfied in what I'm doing. How how does that play out? Yeah, that's that's a great question too. And I think think of happiness in terms of how, how much is our world, how much of our leadership, how much of our business is aligned with who we really are. Like that's kind of the core of our happiness there. But I think, yeah, being being happy and, and not satisfied is okay as a leader. I think I think that's fine. Like if, if you're running a business, you could be really happy, but you might not be satisfied with the results. And I think that's that's okay as long as the motivation for increasing your results is aligned with who you are. You know, if if let's say I just I just want to be I just want to have a, a make, have a good living, be well respected in my community, you know, make a difference. And I'm doing all of those things, but if I'm not satisfied because of some personal motivation, that's fine. But if it's some outside influence that is now making me unsatisfied, like if somebody says, you know what you should do, you should expand your business, you should do more, you should make more money. And if I fall into the trap of listening to that, and now my discontentment is because somebody thinks I should have more, or my neighbor has more, or you know, some definition of good leaders has more, and now I'm discontent. I think that's not an internal discontentment. That's something that's externally motivated. And I think we we need to question that a little bit because what happens is we start changing facing that and then we become unhappy. So, I think I think it's okay to be happy and, you know, not settled want wanting more, but I think really challenge what is the motivation of that? Is that really an internal thing or is it driven by something external? And if it's external, I think there's a risk of that potentially manifesting itself in unhappiness in the future because you're chasing some vision that's not even your own. Yep. Now you mentioned the word just chasing just then in, in that context, but then if I talk about chasing or going fast, that the world is moving very fast. In fact, we're living in a world that's very fast paced, ever changing. How does a leader become or what makes a leader successful today in this fast paced, ever changing world? Yeah. And it's so dependent on, you know, the industry and the type of business that there is that, that you're involved with. But but I think it it really comes back down to what we mentioned earlier about communication, about staying on on task. First of all, with really understanding with clarity what is the vision that you have, where are you trying to go? The world is spinning a million miles an hour around us. That doesn't mean that we have. In some industries, we might have to, but you don't have to get caught up in that. So really be clear, what are you really trying to do with your life, with your relationships, with your business, with your career, with your school, whatever it is that you're involved with, just be crystal clear on what it is that you want out of that, what your vision is. It doesn't have to align with the spinniness of the world. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. And then it's just sort of an ongoing check against that vision and against the people that are involved with that vision. Because you just just don't have to get caught up in that. You just don't. But if, if you're in the industry where you are, then it's just a matter of staying on top of it. And that's going to fuel you, right? Because if you're caught up in that, that's probably because your personality aligns with that. Mine doesn't. But but that's where if you are a, a leader like me getting caught up in that whirlwind of stuff, it's going to be incongruent and you're going to be miserable. Just like if you're a leader that like, man, I want to go, I want to run, I want to do whatever. And you're in, in my sort of work where it's like, man, let's just chill out a little bit. That's going to be incongruent. That's going to cause a problem. So I think what's so important is being congruent in who you are with the type of thing you're trying to lead. But yeah, the, the world is spending a million miles an hour. You don't have to keep up with it. There's the, You didn't sign anything when you were born that says, I commit as a human to get caught up in the rat race. That That's a choice that you have to make. But then it's around getting surrounding yourself with the right people people 
to do that. If you're in a place where it needs to be kind of scrambling, then get, your, get the right people with you that can help you do those things so that you can focus on what you do the best. But but vision of clarity of vision is so powerful. And this is why I've actually, I actually believe this too, that a lot of our best leaders now and into the future are going to come from the nonprofit sector and rather than out of the corporate world. And the reason I say that is because when you, and I've, I've done both and I've been involved in both, when you lead in the nonprofit world, you're leading primarily by vision because you can't write people big checks. You can't give them big bonuses. Usually there's a lot of volunteers involved. People are there because of the vision of the organization. When you're in the corporate world, you can use the stick, right? The paycheck, the bonus, the monetary rewards that you can withhold if they don't perform well enough. And that might be all fine and good. But when you start talking about a world that's spinning and people wanting to belong to something bigger than themselves and they want to belong to something that matters, vision is is critical. And so I think even in the corporate world, I think some of the best leaders are going to come out of the nonprofit sector rather than the other way around. There you go, listeners. The world is spinning fast. There's a lot of noise out there. That doesn't mean that you need to be spinning fast either. And having that control and understanding where things are at. And if you're not congruent with the way that Steve just said that, either being a fast pace or slow pace, whatever's right for you, I think is the important thing that uh, Steve is saying. But clarity of vision is very powerful. It is. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, Steve. Cool. Listen, you and I have been talking about leadership from the lens of a leader. I'm going to get us to change lenses now and and think from an employee's perspective. You and I have been employees in the past. We've probably had employees working for us, whether it be in the corporate world or a smaller business. That's one thing. But then even if I take the actual where they're not employees, but they're a part of the team, where the community side, not for profit probably, whereby we might may not be paying them as much or at all, has employees' expectations of leaders changed at all? I, I think so across the board. Now, every every situation is going to be different. But, you know, when, you know, I think my generation before my generation growing up in that thing, I mean, what did you expect of your leader? I just expected them to be fair, to write me the check, to keep me employed. Some of those, some of the things I wasn't really thinking, and I think a lot of our generation wasn't really thinking, oh, I need to belong to something bigger than myself. I need to have some sort of meaning in work. Like my meaning was a paycheck, right? Like I, I just want to get paid. I'll do a fair day's work. You can do a fair day's pay and let's, let's go from there. And I think I think what's changed again, this is a, a broad statement, but but people are looking for more belonging. And I think part of that is because that's what they grew up in. They grew up in, in more belonging, but they want to matter. They want to young people want to make a difference. They want to have some sort of contribution to the world. Or on the flip side, they don't want to participate in something that they feel has a negative contribution to the world. And so there's this sense of I want to matter even when I'm 20 years old, which is something that wasn't really part of at least my my world, my generation there, it was just, I just wanted a job. So I, th- I think what's changed is leading and managing by brute force is just not going to work. The The whole idea of just beating people into submission so that they do what you want them to do. There's very few industries left that you can do that in and, and retain your people. And part of that is because of technology, right? My, my daughter put herself through college having an Instagram secondhand thrift store account. Like she worked for a few places or whatever and decided, you know, I don't really like that. So she started, but what I love is I love buying secondhand clothes and selling them online. So she, that, that's been her job in college. And so, uh, you know what I mean? Like I, so I, there's so much different opportunity with technology and different things that I think what's changed is this, um, from, from an employee perspective, I want to work for somebody that respects me as a person, not just writes a check 
and that is doing something in the world that aligns with who I am, or at least it's not contrary to that. And that sense of belonging, I think that is the key to employee engagement. So many companies are looking for, you know, they start their employee engagement surveys and they have all of these things going on. And ultimately, in my mind, as a, as a former HR data analytics person, it comes down to, do I feel like I belong? Am I part of this thing? It doesn't even matter some of the other things that we all think matter. It's just, do I feel a sense of belonging? It's like the American show Cheers, you know, that you come into the bar and everybody knows your name. Like, I want to feel good going to work. And that's just different. I think that's changed over the years. I miss that TV program, Cheers. I think it's <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Norm. Yeah, I, I really like um, what you're saying here because I think it's so right. And if, even if we think about the HR perspective, where my background has been in HR, HR for the last sort of 18 years and yours as well around the HR data side of things too, what's really interesting is when we do those kind of employee surveys, senior leaders or managers get upset because they don't know why people score them really low. And I'm like, hello, it's because you're not even relating to them and you're not even talking to them. You're sitting in your ivory tower with your head in the sand, wake up and understand what you need to do. And I think the world, in particular the last two or three years, has gone, has shaken these leaders to say, we want, based on exactly what you've just been talking about, Steve, and it's, it's really good to see. It's scary for a lot of them because they're like, well, what's going on here? And you're so right in what you're saying. It's, it's spot on. Yeah, the, the employee engagement stuff, I think there's a good good heart behind it. But yeah, first of all, they're not having conversations with us. They're giving us a, a 200-question survey to fill out in our spare time. Here, Here's one way you get good employee results. I worked for one company that did this, that a portion of the bonus was actually based on the employee engagement results. And so everybody was giving it positive reviews. And so everybody, all the managers thought great about themselves. And it was, it was crazy. Like I was in the, I was in the industry and then I went into HR and I told people, you know, people are just filling this out positively because their bonus is based on it. Like it's, it's crazy. Like you expect people to give an honest answer and, <laughs> and it's based on a bonus. So they're hurting themselves. So it's just sort of interesting, but, but yeah, I think, I think people are waking up to that. Like if, if you want people to belong, to increase their engagement, you need to give them that sense of belonging and an honest, authentic. Way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it does need to be authentic for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Steve, I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out here and start thinking about the future here. Yep. And where do you see leadership being in five years? It's a tough question. It's a tough question because I don't know. I'm not a futurist and I don't know where the workforce is going to be in five years, but there's always going to be business. There's always going to be industry. There's always going to be nonprofits. There's always going to be a need for leadership. So my my best guess is sort of something like what we said before, where it's true visionary leadership. I think that's where leadership is going, like true visionary, authentic leadership. I think there's a, a movement toward or there will be a movement toward less about your leadership acumen and management skill, even though that's important, and more about who you are as an authentic visionary leader that people can get behind, that has that the vision contains elements of something that matter. So I, I think that's where it's going. So rather than saying, okay, I am the chief poobah grand master of Medtronic and you should listen to me because I'm a great scientist, whatever, it's the person that can get up front of that and say, here's the deal. We are literally saving lives. When you are part of this team, you are saving lives and, and I'm in it too. And when I say we're doing this, I'm doing it with you. I'm not in some ivory tower, like you said, you know, above everybody else. I'm in it with you and I'm authentic and here's my story. And I think I think that's going to go further. And I don't know what that actually looks like. That could look like, especially at those levels, people not taking $35 million contracts to be the CEO of a contra- of, a, of a company. I don't know because I don't want to follow somebody that's making $35 million to lead me. 
And maybe that's wrong. <laughs> maybe that's wrong. Maybe I should, but I'm a, I have an immediate disconnect. They are never going to be able to get in front of a group and relate to me in any sort of level because they're they're just they're just at a different class. So I don't know. It's not a very good answer. I, I just don't I just don't know. And maybe, you know, for the last three years, sort of I've shifted so much because I'm out of the corporate world now. I'm working for myself. And so now most of the leadership that I see is among small business owners. So I see the the, the entrepreneur, the people with five, 10, 40 different employees rather than the groups with, you know, 5,000. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know either. I think anyone that says that they... No, I think that when, there's all sorts of answers I get. And I think that those who think they know exactly what it's going to... I don't think that's right because I think that things are moving and it's changing quicker every year. And so that, you you know, from a data perspective, the rate of change with data, technology, and all that business is just getting faster. And so we are going to have to do things. The fundamentals of leadership will be there. It's how we apply it and how we do it will change. And, and I think that, you know, $35 million for a leader to manage people, no. $35 million to lead an organization that's going to major, make a major impact in the, org, in the world, yes. But it's a leading piece that's the, the key, right? It's not, the, it's not the managing piece that we want because, you know, managing is managing. Leading is totally right. different. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where that goes because I really am I really am intrigued by the by the I, I'm just fascinated by leadership in general, and I think you know I'm sure there's there's ebb and flow with everything, right? But like right now, at least in the U.S., you know the the divisiveness over the p- political scene, of course, is is very strong. But regardless of of, of who that is, there's sort of this, they're just, they're up there and they're so separated from me. Like they, they don't, they can't possibly relate to who I am because they've never walked that journey. And I feel like the same thing happens in companies where if it's somebody that came up through the ranks, sure, that's one thing. But a lot of times it's just this CEO swap, somebody that was, you know, over here, now over here. And like, how can they relate to me? And I think, I think for the average Joe, I think that matters. Does that matter in the grand scheme of leading a company? I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to know if there ends up being enough of us that want a leader that relates to us that it actually starts to drive and you know, change the needle a little bit. Yeah, and I think if I go back to one of the very first comments you said in today's episode was unite here to impact over there. And I think that's just what you've just been talking about, that a lot of leaders are in the, you know, they're in the Eiffel Tower, but they're not actually uniting here to actually impact others as well within the organization. So I think there's a lot to be looked at, a lot of work to be done with leaders going forward, which is exciting. But it's also, I think, that uh, there's an awareness that needs to be lifted for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think authenticity is what people are looking for in general, Yeah, whatever absolutely. that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Steve, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? I would say I've got two websites. Smallsmallbusiness.com is the business coaching consulting training I do. Steve Fredland dot com is really focused more on my speaking side of things awesome steve once again thank you for joining us it's been fascinating talking with you my pleasure loved it excellent so listeners unite here to impact over there hey listeners what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant change is incredibly scary especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory it's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing Look out for the episodes as they're being released, download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.